0: One church consultant said that when this pandemic is over, your church is not returning to a new normal, it's returning to a new reality. So much has impacted the church the last 18 months, it's going to look differently once this is all over, if it's ever over. And so obviously, Christine and Katie and I have spent a lot lot of time thinking about what that new reality is, and we're preaching this sermon series called The Rebirth of the Church. And the re is in parentheses because we're looking at the blueprint for the birth of the church in the Acts of the Apostles. Today we're thinking about divine worship and we're looking at a, an eccentric little story from chapter 20 in the book of Acts. On the first day of the week when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them. Since he intended to leave the next day, he continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, Don't be alarmed, his life is still with him. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he'd broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, they'd taken Eutychus away alive and were not a little comforted. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So as we study the Acts of the Apostles, the blueprint for the shape and function of the Christian church, there's a reason that this Sermon on Divine Worship is the second in a series after last week's introduction to the book of Acts, because this is where it all begins. Divine worship is the beating heart of our common life as the Christian church. Now it's not all we do, right? I know many of you follow the ministry of Gregory Boyle. Gregory Boyle is a Roman Catholic priest in Los Angeles. His parish is among the poorest in the American Catholic Church and has the most gang members. So years ago, Father Boyle started a ministry called Homeboy Industries for former gang members. Homeboys is what they call themselves, or homies. And the homies call Father Boyle G-Dog. Homeboy Industries has a tortilla factory and a cafe, and a tattoo removal service because, it turns out, it's hard to get a job when you have the F word tattooed on your forehead. So Homeboy Industries provides hundreds of jobs for these homies, for these former gang members. Nothing stops. A bullet like a job is G-Dog's motto. And so he was explaining all these things to a radio host on a Christian radio show about the tortilla factory and the cafe and the tattoo removal, and the host listened to this after a while, and she said, well, that's great, Father Boyle, but how much time do you spend at Homeboy Industries, you know, like actually praising God? And G-Dog thought about that for a moment and finally said, all damn day. Father Boyle doesn't spend a lot of time thanking Jesus, not because Jesus is unimportant to his life, but because Father Greg knows that when you say, Jesus, 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 I'm your biggest fan, Jesus looks at his watch and taps his feet and orders a double Glenlivet with a twist. We want to settle for saying, Jesus, 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 when all Jesus wants of us is to be in the world what he is. And so worship is not all we do, but it starts here. And the good news is that for the last 2,000 years, we've been doing pretty much the same thing in the same way in divine worship. You heard in that story that the church gathers around the table and the pulpit. Sacrament and word, the gospel and the breaking of bread, the twin pillars, the sturdy twin pillars of our common life in the Christian church, right? You notice that in this story, uh, uh, Luke tells us that Paul and his Troas congregation broke the bread and discussed the word. Who was it who gave the best and briefest definition of the Christian church? Gather the folk, break the bread, tell the stories. Now there's another continuity between the first and the 21st century in Christian worship. The sermons are way too long. Right? Thus it ever was, and thus it ever shall be. And someone will always be nodding off while the preacher drones on eternally and somniferously. So I hope you appreciated Luke's wry sense of humor as he tells us the telling details of this eccentric little story. It's the end of a long, hard day for these working blokes. Right? They're slaves, they're stonemasons, they're shopkeepers. they're not bankers and lawyers. Most of us make our money with brains and bonds, right? They made their money with hands and hammers. And if you've ever made your living with hands and hammers, you know that that's a tire that goes clean to the bone. Jesus was a carpenter, and Paul himself was a tent maker. The L.L. Bean of the first century. So it's the end of a long, hard day for these working blokes, and it's midnight. The room is lit with oil lamps, and the room is filled with smoke. This is literally a smoke-filled room. Oxygen is scarce. They can't breathe. They don't have a chance. At midnight, Paul's still going strong on the seventh point of a 12-point sermon. You never want, he's leaving town the next day. You never want to listen to a preacher's last sermon because he has to tell you everything he knows before he leaves. And Eutychus finally is just undone by it all. His name means lucky. Eutychus means lucky, which appears at first to be horribly inaccurate, but then turns out to be way true. I see him as maybe 16 or 18 years old. He's maybe an apprentice carpenter like Jesus himself. He spent all day hammering bookshelves together for a rich man's library, and now he's having his night as well. He's sitting over there on the edge of the congregation, as the kids always do. If there's a balcony, they always want to sit in the balcony. So Eutychus sits in this open window, which turns out to be a horrible decision because he falls asleep, and then he falls out the window... And remember, it's three stories down. His body falls to the bricks below, and they think he's dead. Now, the story eventually boasts a happy ending, but not yet. And Columbia Seminary Professor Anna Carter Florence wants us to pause right here in the sad part of the story and notice that Eutychus might be the first teenager literally bored to death by a sermon but he most certainly isn't the last. And so this might be the time to ask whether preaching as a form of communication is obsolete. Yes, it's so wordy, it's so verbal. There are no visual aids, especially in the age of Instagram and YouTube, right, which have been diminishing the human attention span since they arrived on the scene about 10 years ago. We've all got ADD. Now, nowadays, partly because of Instagram and YouTube. And so most of the information we in the 21st century is visual, right? It's graphic. It's not verbal. We learn more by image than by word. Now, Katie and Christine and I actually don't think preaching is obsolete as a form of communication, but it does need to change. And we want you to know that we're working on it. We hope you've noticed that during this pandemic, when most of our congregation is worshiping virtually on screens, that our communication with you has become leaner, shorter, and more efficient. So the sermons have uh, been abbreviated from about 16 minutes to 12, and the worship service itself has gone from about 60 minutes to about 45, because we know you all have ADD. So do I. And we've got these screens in the sanctuary now so that we can communicate visually and graphically in addition to verbally. We know you're a busy folk, and we're going to respect that. Another, uh, and then I'll quit, another continuity between the first and the 21st century is the sheer, well, the continuity of Christian worship, right? The relentlessness of it, the, the consistency of it. The sheer stubbornness of Christian worship all around the world in hundreds of thousands of congregations. Congregations, it happens every seventh day without fail. Calamity doesn't interrupt Christian worship. You don't suspend Christian worship for things like snowstorms and hurricanes. Sissy Christians might, but we won't. I'll walk to church if I have to. German pastor Helmut Thielicke, a minister in Germany's Confessing Church during the 1940s who refused to salute Adolf Hitler ever, tells about conducting a worship service in Stuttgart in 1944 during an Allied bombing raid. And so the, these Allied bombs would come whistling in and then explode in a deafening roar during divine worship. And the preacher and the congregation would just hide under the pews until the raid was over, singing hymns. Singing hymns until the raid was over, and then they commenced with Christian worship. Do you know there are Christian churches that hold a worship service even when nobody comes? So there they are, the organist and the preacher, all by themselves, no congregation. Sanctuary is empty. They just keep going on because you don't need a congregation to have divine worship. All you need is God. That's who this is for. We're not the audience, God's the audience. You and I, the preacher in the congregation, we are actors in this ancient drama. We are rehearsing holiness for God. We are testifying to God's absolute sovereignty in this world. Don't need a congregation to worship God. You just need God. One Saturday night in January, about 10 years ago, around midnight, a powerful snowstorm hammered Greenwich, Connecticut. I think it was about 20 inches of snow. The streets were clogged. 6 30 that morning, I called my worship elder and I said, So, should we do this this morning? And he said, How dare you ask? Love that man. How dare you ask? So, we shoveled the parking lot ourselves. We organized a couple of carpools to fetch the faithful for Christian worship. Some people walked to church through 20 inches of snow, two or three miles, uphill both ways. (laughs) There were about 12 of us there. Twelve. But that was enough, because 12 is a sacred number. And God, too. God was there. So we honored God's holy name because the chief end of humankind, the chief end of humankind, is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.